Judges 19. Well, well, here we are in the Thanksgiving season of 2016. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. No messing with gift giving. Yeah. No birthday cakes. No fireworks. No New Year resolutions to make than to only break. Thanksgiving. It's a time to simply enjoy family, friends, and truly give thanks to God for his many blessings to us. We give a special thanks to our Lord and Savior Jesus for giving us salvation and eternal life. Have you ever thought about eternal life? It seems like the TV is full of commercials how to save money for your retirement. Retirement being a time when many become useless, self-seeking, and of absolutely no use to their fellow man. But they call that retirement. And TV commercials are so practical, they show us how to save money retire, and with proper planning, own our own little winery and vineyard. Give me a break. I've only known one person in my life <laughs> that was able to plant grapes and do a little winery, and that was a doctor I lived next door to when I was farming in California, and he had the money already to do it. But for most of us here this morning... And you didn't get to hear last week's Thanksgiving sermon. You got to go online. It's a good one. <laughs> but we looked at how Jesus expects thanks from mankind. And we looked in particular at the ten lepers that he cleansed. And, but there was only one who returned to give him thanks, and that one being a Samaritan. And Jesus had some words for the Samaritan. He said, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Giving thanks to God, and think about it this Thursday and at other times, giving thanks to God is not just a courteous, proper thing to do. Giving thanks to God is an act of faith. So this holiday season, take a few moments, stop, collect your thoughts, and truly give thanks, for it's pleasing to our God. He enjoys to hear us, his people, give him thanks. But as we continue to look into the book of Judges, We've come to a very graphic chapter here this morning. It's a disturbing episode of rape and murder. So, if you do not want your children to hear this sermon, and I can understand that, Stephanie's agreed to take, <laughs> take any uh, 
although our younger people that may not uh, feel that it's appropriate to hear this, but we're going to handle the passage. We'll handle it as delicately as possible, but we will handle it. So let's look at Judges 19, and we'll look at verses 1 through 21. Then we'll look at the rest of it. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young man's, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days, so they ate and drank and lodged there. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning and stood to depart, but the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterwards go your way. So they sat down, the two of them, and they ate and drank together. Then the young one's father said to the man, Please, be content to stay all night, and let your heart be merry. And when <clears throat> the man had stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the young man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing towards evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here, that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early, so that you may get home. However, the man was not willing to spend that night, so he arose and departed and came opposite Jabus, that is Jerusalem. With, with him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. They were near Jabus, and the day was far spent, and the servant said to his master, Come, please, and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into the city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go up to Gibeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. <clears throat> and they passed and by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there to go into lodge in Gibeah, and when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city, and the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? So he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem in Judah towards the remote mountains of Ephraim. 
I am from there, and I went to Bethlehem in Judah. Now I am going to the house of the Lord, but there is no one who will take me into his house. Although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys, and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant, and for the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Please, uh, rather, peace be with you, however... Let all your needs be my responsibility, only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house, gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet, ate and drank. The very first verse of this chapter we read, there was no king in Israel. There is no form of government in Israel at this time to enforce the Mosaic law for Israel was under the Mosaic law and that was given by God of course to Moses but Israel has resorted into doing right in their own eyes and as verse 1 indicates a certain Levite he takes a concubine that was an illegal activity for a Levite to do in particular, but for any man to do in Israel. You were not to take concubines, but it had become a common practice in Israel. The practice of sin, even when legal, it still offends God. Because man passes laws and says you can do certain things, that doesn't mean it's okay with God. This concubine, she plays the harlot against her husband-to-be. A concubine was not truly a wife, but above just being a mistress for sexual pleasures. Hagar was a concubine to Abraham. She bore Abraham and uh, Ishmael, and Ishmael brought only trouble to Abraham and Sarah all of their lives. Taking a concubine was a justified way of practicing fornication and adultery. It was just the way to do it but it was still forbidden by God. In the New Testament, in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, we read how God looked upon the sin of adultery, and that taking of a concubine was just a simple way of fulfilling my sexual pleasures. This concubine, she's unfaithful to the Levite, and she goes back to her father's house at Bethlehem. The Levite, her husband-to-be, her spouse, husband, whatever you want to call him, goes after her, and the concubine's father is glad to see him. I think he's happy because this Levite wants to make his daughter into an honest woman, <laughs> and it brings him joy that uh, he comes there. The Levite, he brings gifts. He doesn't come there. He's got donkeys. He's got gifts on the donkey. 
And the father-in-law detains him when he wants to leave. Several days he detains him from leaving his house, and the Levites simply wanted to go home. And this is an example of what we call Middle Eastern hospitality. We don't really understand the Middle Eastern hospitality and all the uh, different things that they do. We also have an example of the old man in Gibeah there, uh, where the Benjamites are. He took in the Levite, an old man not willing to allow this Levite, a stranger, to spend the night in the city square. And he takes in the Levite into his house. And this is where the story gets ugly. So let's read verses 20 through 22 through 28. And they were enjoying themselves. Suddenly, certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, for we, that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, Know my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him, so the man took his concubine and brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. And when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his ways, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and, and let us be going. But there was no answer. So the, men, the, the man lifted her onto his donkey, and the man got up and went on his way. This concubine has died from being raped and abused. The Levite and his concubine and his servants are there in the old man's house. They're enjoying the evening. They're having fellowship when perverted men come calling. They surround the house and they beat on the door. And they tell the old man, bring out the strangers you took in so that we may have homosexual relations with them. These perverted men, they're not interested in women, but they're interested in other men. I heard a man who is very familiar with the Islam world, and he was telling me it is not uncommon for homosexual rape to go on in the Arab world. And I thought, my goodness, I thought it was. But he talked how it's not uncommon whatsoever. 
But this old man, he pleads, he begs this perverted mob, don't act so wickedly. Do not commit this outrage. And in his desperate attempt to satisfy the mob, the old man offers his own virgin daughter. And he offers the Levite's concubine. Have your way with these women. Humble them. But do not do this vile thing, this homosexual thing, to my guest. This only angers the perverted mob. They just get mad and they become violent. And they repeatedly rape these two women all of the night. And the concubine, she manages to crawl back to the door of the old man's house and she dies there. Next morning, the Levite comes out. He lifts her dead body onto his donkey and he leaves. He's going home. And I believe this Levite has reached his breaking point. First of all, his, his concubine, she played the harlot against him. She insulted him, this Levite, with her immorality by playing the harlot against him. Sexual infidelity, it can be the most hurtful thing you experience from someone you love. It can be more gut-wrenching than a death of a spouse. Sexual infidelity is a purposefully committed act of betrayal. The life of this concubine is taken from her in the very manner she betrayed her husband. This is an extreme case of sowing and reaping. The Levite, he's doubly, doubly insulted in this story. In this whole thing, he is hurt twice severely. First, the concubine, who obviously he loves, plays the harlot. Then she is raped and killed by a perverted mob. All the while, this Levite, he is holed up at this old man's house and we can only imagine the sounds that he hears going on in and around the house that evening. The old man had showed hospitality. He's also greatly grieved by this mob for his own daughter now has been raped by these same perverted men. She has become damaged goods in that society. She will probably never marry because she's been raped. In our culture, we don't understand this interacting that went on here. Offering your own daughter as a sexual sacrifice to a perverted mob? Not in our culture. 
In fact, there's a man who's already been tried and sentenced. He awaits sentencing for he killed another man that uh, raped his granddaughter. He took matters into his own hand and he killed the guy. Now he's he's been convicted. Now he awaits to see what his sentence will be. That's kind of the way we think here in America. As fathers, as grandfathers, we sympathize with this man who took vengeance. I cannot imagine what I would go through if someone were to rape my one of my granddaughters. I, I, I just can't go there mentally. I can't do it. But in the Middle Eastern customs, in their hospitality, they're played out in this story, and their customs we don't understand. We don't know how a man could offer his daughter to a perverted mob. As a pastor, I have been challenged by some who are sympathetic to the gay community. And here's how I've been challenged. They ask me, why do you Christian pastors jump on the bandwagon against homosexuality but go light on fornication and adultery? When all of it is simply sexual sin. Let me just say this. I'm an equal opportunity sin basher. It is all wrong. But it's a fair question. Why do we go after the homosexual community in such a way? When many times that homosexual is someone we love, a family member or a friend or someone, and we don't understand sometimes the bias against homosexuality and so forth. But you can't stop loving someone simply because they are sinning. But you can't condone it either. You can hate the sin but love the sinner. And that's, that's difficult to do sometimes. You know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he wants to take his father's money, his wealth, go off, live his own life, leave me alone, dad. And guess what? The dad lets him go. The dad could have had him stoned by the customs of the community there. What this young prodigal son was doing was wrong in that society. He could have brought him before the elders of the town and had him stoned for his arrogance. But he let him go. All sin is against God. But hear this now. Some sins are greater sins than other sins. Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate. The chief priest and the scribes and the Sanhedrin are all crying out to Pilate, crucify Jesus. This demand by the religious leader to crucify Jesus, it's intriguing to Pilate. He wants to know why Jew would be against Jew and that kind of thing. So he asked Jesus, 
Where are you from and what have you done? And Jesus' reply to Pilate is silent. He, he doesn't even answer Pilate. He just is silent. Let me read you two verses in John 19, 10 and 11. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, a conclusion by Jesus, Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus as God, he tells Pilate, and he tells the whole world a great truth here. The one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Sin, all of sin, is first and foremost against God. But sin has degrees to it. Some sins being greater than others. And the sin of rape and homosexuality is labeled in our passage here this morning as perversion. Perversion. Not a slip-up. Not an out of... But it's an out-of-control lifestyle. The old man who showed the Levite hospitality... He tries to persuade this mob not to commit this homosexual act, and he gives his own daughter, and he gives the man's concubine to the mob to try to appease them. And he says, do not sexually rape these men. That's an outrage. And to show his sincerity, again, he offers his own daughter But now, the Levite, he's put his concubine, her dead body, he's put it on his donkey, and let's read the last two verses of 19. And when he had entered his house, he took a knife, and he laid hold of his concubine. He divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. This Levite is so disgusted with the Benjamites, a tribe of Israel, he is so grief-stricken, he's in a what we would call a state of shock, He dismembers the body of his concubine into 12 pieces, and he sends one of the pieces of her body to each tribe of Israel. A human part arriving in the mail. And all the tribes of Israel, they will unite at this body part coming to them, and they unite against perverted activity. That's sort of refreshing. God's people committing this perversion, 
the Benjamites. They were a tribe of Israel. Do we get outraged when we see such graphic, in-your-face activity today? Let me mention one organization, Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has committed such perverted crimes for they harvest, harvest baby parts, baby organs, and the like. They harvest them and sell them for profit. Planned Parenthood should have a religious outcry against them coming from America for their barbaric activities. But as of today, Planned Parenthood still receives federal funding. I pray that that will change. But notice this. Homosexuality in the eyes of God is perversion. It doesn't matter if that offends. It may not be politically correct to say that. But before God, it is perversion. Homosexuality, I don't think it's any greater sin than, say, fornication or adultery. I really don't. But it's a barometer of a society. When a society begins to accept homosexuality, it's a mark where God says, you're perverted. You've gone too far. And adultery and fornication, they're sinful. They're totally against God. They're totally against our spouses that we do these things against. But we glamorize. We're very guilty of glamorizing sexual sin. And we call it things like adultery is having an affair. Well, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? I'm just having an affair. Don't get caught up into political correctness to the point that you do not see the sin there. Israel, after receiving these body parts of the concubine, will go to war against the Benjamites, for they will not turn, uh, the, the city elders of Gibeah will not turn over these perverted men who have committed this crime, and so they go to war about this whole issue. As Americans, as Christians in America, as the church of Jesus Christ, stand firm against sin. Perversion is perversion. Don't let the world convince you that it's not perversion, because it is. May we be faithful to our Lord above being politically correct. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, Help us to see sin in the same light you see sin. 
Help us to be repelled by sin, not only in others, but in our own lives. Let us turn to you, Lord, with a pure and clean heart. Keep us clean and pure before you, Lord. We would pray that you would keep us out of temptation. You would keep us away from sexual sin in any way, in any form, Lord. We don't want to be offending you with sinful attitudes or acceptance of sin. Purify our heart, hearts, Lord. Purify our hearts. Let us once again return to your holy standard. Let the church stand up and be the church. As believers, let us stand for righteousness. We pray for this, Lord. And we ask that you do this good work in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.